This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast. This week I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues, our Africa and LNG editor Ed Reed and content editor Andrew Dykes. Uh, back on the pod, Andy. How are we feeling about this development? Uh, it's good to be back, as always. You live your life for broadcasting. We all know this. We all know this. <laughs> cool. All right, well, maybe I'll be indulgent and kick us off uh, this week. Uh, so as you know, we've done, we've been doing a few stories on the latest of the, the Foynaven FPSO, uh, formerly at the BP oil field west of Shetland, now at Hunterston on the west coast of Scotland. Um, you know, we recently covered the decision for it to go to Denmark for decommissioning with some consternation there with the supply chain. And some people have taken notice of this coverage. And a week or so ago, I got a phone call from uh, one of the residents of the Fair Village of Fairley on the west coast, less than a mile from where the FPSO is currently laid up at Hunterston. Fairly, for those that don't know, North Ayrshire, lovely coastal part of the world. Uh, Wikipedia tells me it's got a population of about 1,500. Um, I think I spoke to most of them for this story, made a lot of friends on the community council. Um, and yeah, the, the gentleman in question basically set out to me some of the, the issues they're having with this big old, let's be honest, rusting ship uh, that you know used to produce oil and gas uh, in the west of Shetland. It's now less than a mile away from their, their wee village. Um, one of the big problems seems to be absolutely no information coming from the vessel owner TK and indeed Peel Ports, which operates Hunterston. But basically, since it arrived there on August 8th, this FPSO has had its diesel generators on for 24-7. Now, low power, that's a necessity for the crew on board. But there's been not really any info to the village on how long this ship is going to be there. No idea when it's going to leave, when it's going to go or where it's going to go. So people have been less inclined, I think, to bite their tongues on some of the problems it might be causing. Um, and some of the villagers have reported this noise pollution from the generators, the smell. Uh, and most concerningly, these intermittent plumes of black smoke coming from the top stacks of the vessel, which doesn't look particularly good. Uh, and obviously companies like BP, and, and the, the who the vessel was on charter with until August 30th, uh, and Peel Ports, they've got... ESG and, and climate change policies, which I would argue don't necessarily align too closely with these uh, these visuals. Um, and who knows what it was like when it was out on the west of Shetland, but, but near a residential area, uh, I can certainly understand some concerns. Um, important to say, it doesn't breach any environmental laws. Um, you know, it, it it's not really yet. It's not doing enough to cause a, a legal nuisance uh, as far as the environmental team at the local council is concerned. I think it's also important to say that if this was happening near a place like Aberdeen or, you know, Cromarty Firth, anywhere with a big port where there'd be residents nearby, you can be you can be damn sure there'd be a big focus on it in the media. So, um, yeah, it's and the law on dark smoke, by the way, um, from Ayrshire Council, which they cited, was from like. 1956. So I assume it got amended since then, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk a bit more about it, but for me, if I saw smoke coming from a ship a few yards from my home, I think I'd have some concerns too. This is a sort of ongoing issue for the residents of Fairley and around about Hunterston, isn't it? Because there's been kind of several vessel incidents over the past few years with kind of moorings lost and storms and everything else. I, I do kind of feel for the people there. It's, it's kind of one thing to keep waking up and finding a new vessel sort of potentially yeah. wreaking destruction. They're probably really, really crossing their fingers for the for the, for the the Danes to take over decommissioning, aren't uh, they? Well, yeah. indeed, yeah. Bucking that trend. 
Yeah. So how do you, is there any idea about how long it's going to be there? No idea on how long it's going to be there, other than uh, TK, uh, the lesser spotted media team from TK, finally made an appearance after we published the article saying, oh, no, it's going to leave imminently um, once we get consents for it. So, okay, when might that be? Where is it going to go? Uh, nothing back, of course. But, um, yeah, maybe to Andrew's point there, uh, the, there was this issue last year, 2021 February, where uh, a Valaris drill ship broke from its moorings at Hunterston. And as a result of that, my understanding is that all the kind of ships there need to have their engines on uh, in order to you know, activate emergency thrusters and the like. Um, in case something like that should happen again, which seemed reasonable. An FPSO uh, obviously does not have self-propulsion. Um, so uh, I've been trying to get to the bottom as to how does that exactly line up. We don't know. But what we do know is that, you know, uh, they had to keep the, the generators on so that there's power on board for the crew, which is totally fair. Um, so th that's kind of why this is happening. Um, uh, maybe to go into the BP side of it, um, BP... Has, as I say, has kind of been leasing out this vessel from TK, who owns it. And BP selected Hunterston for it to be the kind of place to get rid of BP equipment and signage before they can hand it back to TK, send it off to, to, to Denmark, we think, uh, for decommissioning. And, and BP said, yeah, no, look, we chose Hunterston. It's, it's, it's a Scottish port. So we're putting £40 million of local contracts in place. I think it's £30, £40 million. Um, so we're doing our bit for local content here whilst it's still in our control. And I sympathise with that argument. But you've got to do both, haven't you? Uh, you know, if you're going to do that, you've also got to do the piece where you make sure there's not these, you know, giant billows of black smoke and consult with community. And, and to be fair to BP, every time we've carried a story, they have at least attempted to make a response and clearly to engage, uh, which is, is, is less than could be said, I think, for TK um, particularly. I mean, I think for the people in the community, in the community council on that, they were particularly quite uh, frustrated, uh, would, I think would be the, the, the phrase I'd use, the word I'd use in terms of their sentiments there. And, you know... Again, we did see from these, we kind of got these environmental statements from the council and uh, sure enough, you know, uh, it, this kind of plumes of smoke were coming up whilst it was still under BP's charter. So it's not all on TK's watch, if you like. Um, and I think this idea of just handing it over to TK uh, to, to decommission, okay, it's their vessel, but you know, is, is BP helping them pay for any of the decommissioning? We don't know. If so, one might argue it's a bit more complicated than that. So maybe the, maybe some closing thoughts um, before we open up. I mean, you've got an expectation of industrial activity at Hunterston. It's an industrial port. I think that's fair. If there's any communication on when it was leaving and where it was going to go, I don't think we'd be in the same place in terms of writing a story about this. Um, and yeah, we've seen previous stories too of, of TK just not engaging. So very frustrating for the residents uh, concerned, I think. And that's why we are where we are. Did, did BP think that any of its £40 million on local content could go into uh, maybe a very long extension lead from the shore to this uh, to this FPSO to uh, allow them to stop uh, running their diesel generators? I, I, I do not know what the costs of that would be but yeah i've got a, i've got a multi-plug <laughs> socket in the socket in the cupboards uh, if they if they want to borrow it it's it's the permitting that's the problem ed i mean they, they'll take the socket but you know it's two years through permitting to, you know. to see whether they can uh, run it from from the front window of someone <laughs> fairly all the way out <laughs> but I, I think it, it speaks to the to a wider point though right alistair's that you know the uk's increasingly competing for for no city commissioning work which we do want to happen here but in order for that to happen these industrial sites and other perhaps less industrial sites are going to see more of these kind of big, big structures that they've probably never seen before because they've been out living in the North Sea for 25 plus years, 40 years, you know, 
increasingly brought to shore and then that as much as it brings jobs and work and importance for kind of local communities there's a, a balance to be struck between what you actually do when they arrive back nearer your home isn't there yeah no absolutely um i did have some engagement with some of the you know local facebook page and fairly in that um after this guy called me up uh, a couple weeks ago and uh half the people it was literally about a 50 50 split of the people that you know commented were like oh no yeah we need to address this we need to talk about this you know there's no engagement from bp tk xyz and then the other half were a bit like well you know we, we do want to have you know, if industrial activity here provides jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, again, I, I kind of sympathize with the, the argument there about making sure there's local contracts, but at the same time, uh, you know, if, if you're doing it this close to home, I think people are going to you know, pay very close attention to what's going on and, and, and how it all plays out. So you've got to do both. You know, you can't just say, you know, well, we're doing our bit here, but, well, you know, you've, you've also got to back it up with the environmental side uh, and indeed the safety side. Um, you know, we've seen cases of things getting decommissioned at UK yards and things going um, horribly wrong with footage and all the rest of it um, popping up of people. Oh, I don't know. There, there's this guy on the pontoons of one of the bucking and he's like, he was like blowtorching something whilst it was on the water and it just became detached. And that's a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into. But anyway, uh, yeah, these kinds of problems uh, can emerge. We'll see how it plays out for the, the fair people of Fairley um, and indeed the Foynev, and I'm sure we'll be back there soon. But we will park it for now. Uh, and next up, there's simply no space for a small cap oil company. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ed, so a tie-up between Transglobe and Valco in the works. Uh, tell us what's behind it. Absolutely. There seems to be something in the water these days. Uh, uh, hmm. Transglobe, uh, a, a, a company that uh, has has uh, sort of modest production in, in Egypt and Canada, um, announced a deal back in uh, July to uh, merge with, uh, with uh, Valco, which works in Gabon and, and Equatorial Guinea. Um, which, you know, uh, a number of companies seem to be uh, looking at Egyptian options. Uh, SDX Energy, another one. That that merger failed uh, rather rather spectacularly uh, a couple of months ago. But also Tullow Oil trying to merge with Capricorn, so, which Capricorn is, you know, largely now an Egyptian-focused company, although obviously it does have some sort of legacy North Sea issues. But uh, again, and that, and, and that sort of Tullow uh, Capricorn issue has also come up and some questions around that but i spoke to uh, the ceo of transglobe this week randy neely uh, and he was you know really sort of trying to uh, make the case for, uh, for 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 the deal to go ahead so when the deal was announced uh valco essentially was is, is going to issue shares to transglobe swapping its shares for for, for transglobe's 
And since then, uh, Translobe's pr- share price is roughly about the same, but Valco's has fallen maybe sort of 15%, you know, similarly in line really with, with the, the sort of the d- decline of Brent since, since that announcement. And a uh, an activist uh, shareholder of Transglobe has come out and said, "Look, let's let's scrap the deal, right? The 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 price now being paid doesn't uh, give a fair value to Transglobe. Um, the, the the two companies, are, you know, there's 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 not there's not 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 enough similarities between these two companies to 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 have a a sort of a, a viable sort of sensible sort of uh, company of the future." Instead, Transglobe should sell off its Canadian assets and, and just sort of focus on 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 producing in Egypt, where there's a sort of a, a sort of a, obviously a well-established uh, routine and, and and schedule. So so Randy Neely kind of came out swinging once they uh, they saw you know published this uh, original piece uh, the sort of the start of the week, and obviously their uh, press team saw this and. We're quite interested to get over uh, Randy's uh, perspective. <laughs> so I had a chat with him this week, and um, his point was that uh, yes, the the, the small the age of the the small uh, you know oil company is dead. Right, uh, these these companies with sort of a single asset, they 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 there's not enough uh, for for that sort of a company to survive. So Transglobe sort of straddling that kind of Egypt's Canada, you know, kind of uh, view was it was it was a good start. But adding Valco and its kind of uh, Gabonese uh, production and, and, and sort of opportunities for, for, for new developments in Equatorial Guinea, he said was the way to, to really kind of, you know, grow as a company. And, and you know, there were, there, there were some convincing uh, numbers that they've got going they they've, they'd be low debt it would have uh, sort of quite a sort of strong production profile so it would be quite an interesting uk listed sort of uh, mid-sized sort of an oil company um but i mean i think you know the question remains right does a company that has knowledge of egypt also have uh, you know the ability to to kind of you know operate in Gabon. Obviously, entirely different regions, entirely different ways of operating. Randy said, "Look, you know we're 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 good at fracking in Canada. We could do fracking in Egypt. We could bring that fracking expertise to to Gabon." I don't know. I mean, it's 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 uh, going to be an interesting one to see, to see it play out. So, so the big date to watch is uh, September the twenty ninth. They're going to have a big, uh, big uh, meeting. The shareholders are going to get to vote. Randy needs sixty six point six percent of of shareholders to back him to get the deal over the line. I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those interesting things, isn't it? Sort of sit, trying to gauge sentiment online is is obviously an imperfect science. You know, looking at Looking at mouthy shareholders, uh, obviously have a lot of opinions, um, and they are never short of uh, you know wanting to express them, uh, and it, and it, it does seem that there might be some might be some difficulties for uh, for for Randy and his plan, but obviously you know one to watch come the twenty ninth. Uh, 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 it sounds like your best mates are Randy Ed. I mean, it sounds like you're 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 really close, which is good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, last week we spoke about Africa Oil having this kind of broad portfolio and different coasts of Africa, uh, and if they're looking large, this is uh, well, really international um, kind of going now. I mean, does that benefit them? You know, having these different this potential portfolio in different kind of areas, and uh, you know, do you think there might be a a favourite child there, or do they love all the different regions equally? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did try and sort of, you know, ask him which of his particular children he would uh, be willing to invest in. Um, he, he, he didn't, he, he kind of refused to uh, explicitly comment, but did say, oh, you know, we might, you know, look at, say, going offshore Egypt. So obviously, you know, ask a man who runs a company focused on Egypt what he'd like to invest in. He would probably say Egypt. I mean, I suppose that's, that's probably quite fair. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's always that question, isn't it, right? It's a question of sort of uh, operational managerial capacity, right? To what extent can you handle those different different demands and needs? Egypt, obviously, they've, they've gone through um, a really, you know, tumultuous few years. I mean, you know, it was just over 10 years ago, uh, Egypt had a revolution, uh, and then a sort of essentially a counter-revolution a couple of years later. And then, you know, so there was a whole question around, you know, governance and paying bills and those sorts of challenges. You're not going to face that same sort of, you know, regulatory challenge in Alberta, right? I mean, I think it's just an entirely different, you know, sort of kettle of fish. But, you know, obviously in Gabon, there are there are some challenges. You know, they are operating offshore, Volco, this is. And so there's a question around, you know, there are going to be political differences and political challenges in both Gabon and Egypt that are going to be notable uh, and, and, and quite significant and will need sort of quite a lot of work to navigate. Randy obviously said, look, you know, we can do it. We can, we've, we've done it before. Uh, you know, we can, we, can, we can sort of ever see this. And the, the kind of the cash flows from those assets from Gabon, you know, Valco has, has, has really made a kind of a really good going of, of, of production in Gabon. And it's been an extraordinary success story. Transglobe has, as, as you know, sort of the receivables are being paid in Egypt, although, you know, looking at sort of Capricorn's uh, recent results, that may yet uh, prove to be a problem again. As long as that kind of cash is flowing, then, you know, obviously it's going to be a kind of a convincing story. But it's that, that kind of political challenge that I think is going to be a, a, an interesting one. And whether... Uh, when you're working solely in one country, you know, you can say to the government, look, you, you've got all of my time, you've got all of my focus, you know, I'm, we're going to need a close relationship. If, you know, you say, look, you know, to the I know, the Gabonese oil ministry, look, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I want to carry on developing, you know, offshore. But at the same time, I've got to sort of try and navigate the receivables balance in, in Cairo. It's a it's a tougher sell. I would I I think you know uh, and you know it's 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 going to be it's going to be a real challenge. And I think you know it, I guess look it can be done, right? I think you know obviously there are companies that can do it that can navigate this challenge, but it's going to be it's going to be an uphill task. And I think you know particularly there is that kind of divide between you know say sort of sub-Saharan Africa and 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 North Africa, isn't there? There is there, there in many ways they're they're very different uh, environments. So. Are they transferable? I mean, I think the technical skills are, right? I think, you know, that sort of discussion around bringing fracking, you know, like it would be useful to have a guy who, who's done fracking in Canada come to Gabon and say, look, this is how it works in Canada. Sure, I could see that. But that's that, it's that, it's that policy side of things that I'm maybe slightly more sceptical of. Uh, what about his kind of premise on the, the idea of small to, to mid caps and this ability to attract kind of more investment? Is, I mean, do we, do we buy that? Is that? Do we think this bigger scale company is, is going to be more appetizing for that market 
I mean, I, I suppose, uh, look, I think, you know, more uh, more production, more cash flow is always going to help, isn't it? And, you know, he was saying, like, just, you know, sort of more liquidity, more people invested. That is also going to help. That's another of those kind of, you know, kind of check boxes that, that sort of investors are going to look at. So I think, you know, like that, that's probably, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of quite a valid point, I think. But again, it's going to come back to that kind of question of political risk, I think, you know, like investors, you know, will see, you know, like, oh, yes, you know, a company that's got, you know, say 20,000 barrels per day of production is more attractive than one with half of that, of course. But it's a question of, you know, do those same investors believe that, you know, Randy or really, you know, more sort of George Maxwell, um, you know, of uh, who hails from, uh, from 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 you you guys neck of the woods, um, and and previously was working in you know Nigeria with uh, with with Eland before moving to Valco, can 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 George Maxwell you know navigate that that challenge? I think you know he's a he's he's very good at what he does, um, but there are there are going to be you know sort of challenges in the future, and I think this is kind of a, a precursor, isn't it? It's kind of seeing this kind of you know activist investor come out and say, you know, uh, that that this isn't the best way of doing it, and obviously that activist investor has you know their own their own uh, strategic rationale, you know, obviously as an investor they're saying, hey, we would like a special dividend rather than having to wait, uh, which, you know, I suppose all investors would prefer to have, uh, have, have really have cash now than, than, than wait for a sort of un- uncertain cash in the future. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair point. And I think those, uh, those, those, those investors are going to be ke- keeping quite a close eye on, on that kind of political challenge. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Ed. It sounds like Randy's got his work cut out for him, but uh, we'll see if he can get past that 66.6% threshold. Uh, what is that, next week? Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll round off with some levity next with, uh, well, Boaty McBoatface. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Well, that was the segue of the century, Andy. I thought Boating with Boatface was the David Attenborough ship. Uh, this is the real Boating with Boatface? Uh, what's happening? Yeah, with the real Boaty, please stand up. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, having, uh, having spent the past kind of two weeks in, in our official UK morning period, it was, you know, respectful as, as, is, as is correct. Hmm. It was kind of nice to be reminded of the vicissitudes of the great British public <laughs> and that, yeah, we did hold a very public competition to name quite an important polar research vessel, which overwhelmingly the public wanted to be called Boaty McBoatface, which had to be officially rejected. And yeah, as you say, renamed the RRS Sir David Attenborough. But in, in uh, compromise, they announced that they would name one of the ROVs on board Boaty McBoatface, which is, uh, yeah, since 2016, I did a bit of digging. It's kind of actually had a little bit of an interesting career. Uh, so this is, to give its ped- pedigree name, Autosub Long Range 3, ALR3, uh, being developed by the UK National Oceanography Centre, the NOC. It's a 3.6 metre uh, autonomous underwater vehicle, so AUV. 
weighs about 600 kilograms and it can reach depths of up to 6,000 meters. Uh, and fully charged, the systems will allow it to travel up to 2,000 kilometers, about 1,200 miles. Um, which just kind of incidentally, you know, from, from ROV perspectives, I, I remember maybe 10 years ago looking at ROVs that you could, a day or two tops, sure. you know, and then it had to come back to like a really small a really small boat kind of launched from a larger boat and they would take it back and recharge it. To have something that's going, yeah, 1,200 miles in, in one charge is pretty spectacular, I think. But uh, yeah, so Boaty McBoatface uh, has been pioneering the first autonomous decommissioning survey off the UK. So this week it was launched from Lerwick in Shetland and it will travel for about 10 days to inspect uh, some decommissioned oil and gas sites, including Northwest Hutton and Miller, uh, both ex-BP assets or current BP assets that have been decommissioned. Um, it's part of the NOC's Autonomous Techniques for Infrastructure Ecological Assessment, or the at Sea project, emphasis theirs, um, which is kind of aiming to expand the use of these autonomous vehicles to, to look at decommissioned sites. So yeah, it was dispatched on Monday from, from Lerwick. It's off to Hutton first uh, for 10 days and then back in. It'll be recharged for a couple of days, uh, I think cleaned up and everything, and then sent back out to look at Mirror, uh, Miller and Braemar. Um, it will be taking uh, photos of the seafloor, uh, kind of looking at the marine environment, and there's also, uh, as I say, hydrocarbon sensors on board to kind of test for uh, any potential leakages or, or signs of hydrocarbons around the sites. Um, and the hope is that kind of missions like this, where it's completely autonomous, uh, you know, the, the crew will launch it, they'll be monitoring it as it goes, but once it, it returns, only then you're going to get the data back. Um, they're hoping that this is going to kind of save a lot more time, emissions of dispatching a kind of much larger vessel, and obviously the, the safety risk of putting people offshore anytime. That's, that's one of the main concerns for, for any kind of offshore operation. Um, but they're saying that, you know, the potential is, is huge in terms of even just the UK. We've got more than 500 sites that have been decommissioned like this where we need to kind of constantly check in to see the status, just to check that there's no leaks, and to check the status of the, the marine environment around it as well. Um, the other thing I suppose is interesting is, is just when you kind of multiply that cost out forever, really, because decommissioning is a, the liability lasts in perpetuity, in my understanding at least. We have to continuously monitor these sites. So sending out a vessel to inspect, you know, hundreds of sites, if not every year, then certainly every five years, every 10 years, when you multiply that out over the decades that we're going to need to keep monitoring this, Stuff like this, I think, is really important. As much as uh, it may be, <laughs> may be fairly uh, light to to use boaty in isolation. I think we may see a kind of small army of McBoatface children <laughs> in the future. Um, well, uh, you, you say that. Uh, but, well, the, the, the issue is, as, as you rightly say, that it's, it's kind of growing in prominence, particularly in the UK. We do have other methods being trialed out there. I, I don't quite know how it works, but basically, there is a, there's some companies out there. I'll name them. Uh, Sentinel Subsea is one we've spoken to in the past. You know, they've got this kind of system. It's kind of like a smoke alarm, uh, almost, is, is the way it's been equated to me in terms of if anything was to go, you know, to, to leak, then it would just, you know, immediately let someone know back at base and you could immediately send someone out rather than do these kind of ROV flypasts, if you like. Um, because, yeah, as you say, these there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of these wells that need to be checked and, and checked and checked to make sure there's nothing... Still coming out of them, uh, there is, you know, they'll extracted the recoverable barrels um, from them, but it doesn't mean there isn't still oil and gas within them after they're done. So yeah, something we'll have to do for for some time. And I guess, 
yeah, if you use um, your boat team at Boat Face Army, um, that's, you know, you're not sending people out there. So you're cutting costs and you're cutting emissions. So it's quite a good idea. We'll see if how, how it plays out. I guess this is a trial. So this is a trial. Interesting to see. I, I, I has already been trialed in Loch Ness and the Celtic Sea. So this is kind of the next stage, but I'll, we'll be as much as uh, it's always a fun story to report on, on Boaties adventures it will be interesting to see kind of the range and the amount of sensors they can pack in and, and where this can go in future yeah does anyone would anyone like to know what some of the other um entries into the top 20 list um were <laughs> go on then give us the best boat uh there were not, well you know the, some of them were actually quite serious like you know the david attenborough suggestion but i would say overwhelmingly we've got a spectrum of the the british public's um psyche here um RRS Ice Ice Baby and Bodosaurus Rex coming in at 19 and 20. Big metal floaty thingy thing. Um, what else did we have? We had Pingu, which I thought was quite nice. Um, RRS What Iceberg. Um, we've got I Like I like Big Boats and I Cannot <laughs> Lie. Um, Botimus Prime. Uh, Usain Boat. It's Bloody Cold Here. Um, and then, yeah, I think... There was a couple of others I didn't quite get. Pillar of Autumn, I think that might be a Halo reference. And RRS, thanks for all the fish. Um, so yeah, I mean, the creativity of the British public really needs to be commended um, here. We can't put our we can't put our heads together to, to dealing with you know real crises, but when it comes to a, a democratic process like this, gosh, we can come up with some great great stuff. What a shame that we named it after David. I mean, I love David Attenborough as much as the next person, <laughs> you know. But I mean. I I suppose maybe this is a thing, you know, like obviously, you know, people talk about sort of, you know, sort of uh, drone, like a sort of like a, like a, like a, like a cloud of drones, don't they? You could, you could, you could just, you know, name, you know, if you've got 20 names, just, you know, just run through them all, right? <laughs> Every, everyone gets a shot at glory. Everyone gets a shot at glory. I look forward to the uh, RRS, you know, the, the what iceberg um, <laughs> ROV and the, the Pingu ROV. Um, there was one, there was one that was simply RRS boat. Imagine we just got <laughs> I have to say, I, I, having watched kind of a lot of the, the videos explaining kind of the nature of this this project, I, I do really feel for the very talented, exceptional engineers and academics who stand next. The they stand scientists. next to this ROV, who they they are rightly proud of. It is a, a very interesting technical achievement with a huge Boaty McBoatface logo <laughs> next to them, and they talk in detail about kind of these sensor packages and things like that. And you just think, oh man, we. We really did a number on you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what was the situation that they ended up do, putting it out to consultation? Is it was? I'm assuming this is some sort of there was some sort of government funding behind it. Is that uh, that's an assumption? Yeah, it was the Nat, the National Environmental Research Council, I think, and it was you know one of their the classic public engagement. What you know? What should we? The Great British Public. What do you want this this pioneering polar research vessel to be called? Uh, what iceberg? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean we're. The 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 Boaty legacy lives on, and obviously this is ALR three. Potentially more sons of McBoatface to come. Uh, I <laughs> would be very happy to see them. <laughs> That's great. I mean, that, I mean, it's good news. It's good news. I, I look forward to the day that the the Pingu the Pingu ROV uh, goes out. Um, and I, I guess you know the, the sky is the limit in terms of what we we might achieve together uh, with these kinds of things. But I mean, I think like in terms of sort of public engagement, right? Like Boaty McBoatface does work quite well, and like the whole thing about the vote, and it is slightly ridiculous, obviously. But you know, when there's a story about Boaty McBoatface, you know, you're probably going to click on it, aren't you? Like you get you're going to read it, you're going to be like, oh yeah, let's find out about polar research. Whereas you know, if it's you know the you know RRS David Attenborough. 
I'm sure he, he's also doing uh, important work, but it's not it's not quite so uh, publicly engaging as both of them are So I think I think that's uh, that's um, you know they 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 gave it their best shot, and I I think that's a success. You make a strong case for increasingly zany <laughs> research vessel names. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's let's put it across the whole industry: tankers, rigs, just. Open competitions. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> it kind of goes back to that ongoing debate we have about the oil fields. Like uh, some of them are called, like all the shell ones are named either after birds or James Bond villains. Uh, and I think like a lot of the, the ones out in Gulf of Mexico are like named after like Game of Thrones characters and things like that. So I think, yeah, I th- I'm all for it. Let's just have everyone consult on all the names. Let's let's change energy voice to something like that. Let's let's see let's see what else we can do. Let's put it out to the vote. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a new licensing round coming up, Alistair. You know, be careful what you wish for. Oh my gosh, oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, think of the possibilities. Okay, all right. That's enough of this ludicrous podcasting. Uh, so that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. I'm very sorry for what you've just heard. <laughs> thank you to Ed and to Andy for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.